Mr. Mystery Guest. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Hey, motherfucker. Oh, Snape. I know. Isn't it just amazing how I can still just hear his voice? Well, it's, he's got one of those cadences that is so... It's like the Werner Herzog, like those kind of voices that it's... You hear Alan Rickman and it's, oh, Alan. And I'm comforted by the fact that he's the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't as frightened. <laughs> odd, is, that's odd that you're not as frightened of Snape. Because he's a bad guy. Are you not as frightened as a bad guy because he's Snape? Well, Snape wasn't the bad guy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no, he's pretty... Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about no, Harry Potter. <laughs> Even though I bet you 10 bucks, we're going to talk a lot about Harry Potter tonight. <laughs> Welcome, guys, to episode 12. I'm your host, Bob Barrow. And I'm your co-host, Jacqueline Barrow. And Christmas is in full swing. Woohoo! Yes, we've officially crossed the December line, so now we can all get... Shitty about Christmas uh, in a positive way. Uh, we treed last we weekend. Did in the middle of the biggest snowstorm thus far. Oh my god! <laughs> but the tree made it home, wrapped in a Mexican blanket yeah. on our roof. <laughs> yeah, we we managed it with very little calamity, despite the blistering cold and blowing snow and freezing rain. And yeah, no, it was good. So we hope you guys all have your trees up, your decorations up, or if you're not Christmas, if you're uh, Hanukkah, I hope you're chilling until Hanukkah because you got some weight. Whatever uh, you're doing, yeah. get merry and bright. Yeah, whatever you're doing this month, turn on anything really, and you'll find some kind of holiday spirit. Yes. So to kick off our festivities for the month, we thought we would uh, take a look at <sighs> Christmas movies are interesting. <laughs> because they come from, they have such a wide berth of films you can look at. Oh, yeah. There's movies that are so religiously about Christmas that you'd almost think Christmas had a religious aspect. Uh, almost. 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 You know? But what I think, you know, this whole keep the Christ in Christmas thing, we've already taken the T out, and the T is basically just a cross, and that's the grimmest part of the whole Jesus thing. So what we've done is actually taken the bad part out of his birthday. Bam, you're welcome, Jesus. Whoa. Yeah. You thought about that. I've been thinking about this for a little while now. (laughs) (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the two polar opposite ends of the Christmas movie spectrum this episode. Polar opposite in a good way, because Bob had suggested a couple movies that I uh, ixnade. Yes. You, you definitely ixnay. Well, it's, I, I love Christmas horror. We talked about this. Uh, we might talk about this last episode. And I have no problem with Christmas horror. Yeah. I just don't like... Um, Rape exploitation, and I, I had been told that uh, several of these movies, yeah, specifically had some horrifying scenes. Yeah, the the top of the heap, the Silent Night, Deadly Nights of the World. Yeah, that's. I think that movie is hilarious and super grim. The scene where the Alzheimer's grandpa comes out of the coma to terrorize the six year old boy in the old folks' home is brilliant. Whoa! See, oh, yeah. I could do that kind of stuff. That I get all of it. Gore, it's fine. Is the guy um, dressed as Santa when he's? 
you know, yeah, committing no. felonies. No, it's, uh, okay. so we chose not to go that route. Yes, so. we went two very different ways this week. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a rather divisive Christmas movie. Uh, some people argue about whether it's a Christmas movie, and then other people are probably just incorrect, but everyone's entitled to their opinion. And then something that could not be any more Christmas. Like, it feels like if you actually took a Christmas tree boiled it down and poured it into a glass. And that's drank it. yeah, that's how Christmassy <laughs> this is. And it's one of Jack's absolute favorite things. So what we're gonna be looking at this episode is the eternal action classic Die Hard and Jack, tell the people. Hallmark's Snowden Christmas. <laughs> just sorry, you can't see her, but I was holding for the pause because <laughs> she's just staring angelically into the skies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start with Die Hard, uh, because alphabetically, it's awesome. Now, Jack, you had not seen the first Die Hard. And if I did, I have no memory whatsoever. Okay. Like, I I have a couple images in my head that I know that he was wearing uh, that white tank top, mm-hmm. but other than that, no. And when I did start watching it, there was no memory okay. of it at all. I was a Lethal Weapon fan, and I thought you had to be like... A hardcore, like Beatles, Rolling Stones fan. You had to be diehard or Lethal Weapon. Apparently, okay. it turns out you don't. Makes sense. Which also <laughs> and they're all awesome yeah. movies. <laughs> which is fun too, because the first Lethal Weapon is a Christmas movie. So there you go. It's Shane Black and all of his movies are set at Christmas. So, but I do recall as a kid, we watched uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance a bunch, the one with him and Samuel L. Jackson, uh, mainly because it was on TV. Oh, okay. So that was usually like you know, oh Sunday afternoon and it's raining. But ten bucks, Die with a Vengeance is on because it's 1995. Yeah, <laughs> so it was on all the time. But the first Die Hard, so I I love this movie. I watch it all the time. The first three I love. I've, my friend Hayden, him and his brother actually get together every Christmas and watch Die Hard. It's one of their annual family traditions. I can that see that do. because. Much to the chagrin of our listeners, I'm not going to disagree with you on the fact that, A, I think this belongs as a Christmas movie, and B, I loved it. (laughs) That was such a weird, because I'm worried. I'm like, I know this movie is smarter than the average action movie. That's what elevates it and separates it from a lot of its brethren. Yeah. But there's always that chance of something that I absolutely love, and it just doesn't speak to me. It's not. No, I love it. I love it because it is just that classic, like late 80s, early 90s um, bullet fest. It's like Top Gun. It's like True Lies. There's intricate character studies to a a point. To a degree, yeah. Um, And uh, terrorist plots. I love them. Well, it's a film like Die Hard. It's an action movie that changed how action movies were made. Because after this movie came out, it became the template for the modern action film, especially in through the 90s. Okay. Where everything was pitched as die hard on A. You know, the the muscle-bound heroes, which I absolutely love, the Stallones, the Van Dams, the Schwarzeneggers, were kind of replaced with a lot of cops, but just kind of normal guys dealing with a situation. Yeah, he he's not super built. There's nothing abnormal about him like even the rock and skyscraper which i felt there was a lot of similarities he's not an achievable body type for the majority of people and bruce willis he's fit but he's a normal looking guy which Mm -hmm. i think makes him more attractive um in this role 
Well, that's what I think the biggest thing that sets this film apart in terms of the action hero lead is he's just a guy. He's a New York cop that's a bit of a schlub. Yeah. And he gets into a situation where he is in way over his head. You know, he's a, he's a beat detective. But he doesn't even think, and I think that's what makes that character so attractive. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking in a romantic way. I mean, it's Bruce Willis. Come on. When he still had hair. I wouldn't say no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For dinner. (laughs) Um, But he just kind of jumps in and is like, my wife, who is estranged at this point from Mm -hmm. him, is in trouble. And all these people are in trouble. And I'm just acting. He's He's acting on principle. And he doesn't even put his shoes on. And he just goes for it. Well, that's the thing is it's he's not being the hero because he's the muscly guy that like, oh, look, here's my action shot, you know, like uh, Schwarzenegger would do. You know, he's going to kill everyone because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's obvious. Usually he's picked up some kind of vehicle in the first scene and you're like, I think he's the hero. Where this guy is like afraid of flying, doesn't know how to use a limo, you know, has never heard run DMC. Yeah. And he's just, but like you said, as soon as a problem erupts, he's a cop. Yeah. So it's time to go, okay, time to go be a cop from just one amazing calamitous set piece to the next. Yeah. Which is incredible. And I think from the time this movie opened, I knew I was going to like it because it opened with guns on an airplane and smoking in the airport. And I was like, yeah, I know where we're going. We're going back. Yeah. (laughs) Back in time. Well, it's just such a fun pre-9-11 world. You know, like a lot of these, a lot of these action movies, because they're so, they're fetishized in their own way can be fun. um, Because they come from such a different time in storytelling. But because this one is it's big and it's loud and it's crazy but because it's more intelligent intellectual you get to enjoy more of the i guess you would say cultural fetishes of the time like you said like he's he's got a gun and no one knows he's like well, I'm a cop and the guy just takes his word for it yeah like, it's cool whatever and odd fact uh, i noticed this when i was doing the christmas evil episode of a frame apart the guy that he talks to on the airplane okay is the slimy uh, agent from Ernest Saves Christmas. Oh. And if I'm not mistaken, this guy is also in Christmas Evil, where I think he plays a cop. So I don't know what it is He's about got a thing this for Christmas guy. Movies. <laughs> or if it's like one casting director is like, we need someone for a Christmas movie that's a little unorthodox. I know a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get, it, let's get that guy down here. What's his name? No one knows. But he's got this weird kind of, like you see everyone, well, like Reginald Val Johnson. You know, he can't not play a cop. Well, and some people can't not play bad guys. Yeah. So it just, it goes without saying. Well, it's it's fun to pick out people in those roles. You know, Reginald Val Johnson started as a cop in Ghostbusters. He's the one that comes and gets him, takes him to the mayor. Right. He's a cop in this. He reprises the role in Die Hard 2. And then... Carl, obviously Carl Winslow on Family Matters, where he's a cop. He's a cop. Like, it's just, it just fits so well. It's just the oddest typecasting. Like, you'd think somebody that's, like, tough and rugged would constantly be playing cops. And it's like, no, we're going to redeem the image of the police officer in Make him an everyman. Mind. Yeah. He could not be any more everyman than that guy. No, and I, so I loved all of those elements, but the thing that got me the most and kept me interested was the subtleties of the film. So they throw all of this action and all of this, um, fantastic imagery in your face. But there's so many subtle things that happen that it makes it good writing to me. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that caught me 
was the fight that occurs between Bruce Willis and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, she says to him, oh, I miss you. He's like, yeah, I miss you too. And then he says something stupid, and she flies off the handle, which to me, and then it turned the tide of the entire conversation, and that was the last conversation before they got themselves yeah. into a frosty pickle. You missed me, but you didn't. <laughs> you had to go there already. I know. You missed me, but you didn't miss my last name. Yeah, and then it just goes, and that to me was so realistic. And then this is carried throughout the film um, with when the cop catches himself on the rose bush. Like they didn't need to put that scene in there, but perhaps the actor actually did it. Um, One of the bad guys steals a a Hershey bar from down in the foyer, and he actually thinks about doing it before he does it. He's not just super evil. He's like, oh, kind of hungry. Really use a chocolate bar. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's these little and th- those were all actually deliberate things that the the John McTiernan, the director, did. Uh, if anyone hasn't watched, there's a new series that just came out, uh, the movies that made us on Netflix. So good, and they do one on Die Hard. Okay, where they talk about all this. We should watch it because that's what McTiernan's kind of style was. You know, he started with Predator, uh, with Schwarzenegger, a movie that shouldn't have been as smart. And as interesting as it was, but he's a character guy. And he would kind of start his career by tricking the studios. And like, you like, you know, guns and explosions. He's like, oh, guns, explosions. And as soon as the studio would leave the room, he'd be like, okay, let's get down to some character work now, guys, because we're adults. And you can make this kind of movie that make, but make it feel human. And that's what it is. I mean, there's a scene when Vigo dropped the warhead. Yeah. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes you laugh and it makes you realize that. It's a movie about people, not a movie about superheroes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's an action movie that's it's not self-aware in the way, say, a film like Demolition Man is self-aware. Well, that was a that was a social commentary. Yeah. And it's but it's an action movie that knew it was an action yes. movie and kept pointing at the tropes of it. This is the film that like in a lot of ways it redef- while well, redefining the action template. Because it came right smack dab at the end of the hyper-masculine, no sarcasm, subtlety genre of action stuff. You know, stuff like Roadhouse or Commando. (laughs) You know, these are movies that are utter machismo to the point of you have this hyper-fetishization of the male body and the male ego and that kind of really violent masculinity where there's... No one's winking at the can, which makes those movies amazing now, but they're made with such earnesty and honesty, and they're just killing everyone, and it's so dripped in silliness, but none of it's intentional, whereas someone like McTiernan is like, no, let's let's bring some humor into this. Otherwise, it's just a New York, an angry New York cop murdering people for two hours. Yeah, we don't need to see that. I mean, the film, I thought, for all its action, was so humble... And that was perfectly captured in the fact that he took his shoes off. Mm. Like, you could, I'm being really symbolic here, but it was just what it was. It was a guy trapped in a building on Christmas Eve trying to save people with whatever he had available to him at the time. And basically, he's doing it to make it right with his wife. You know, it's it's a redemption story. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what a lot of people lead with the is it a Christmas film argument. Because you have to go through, like, it's the Jesus story. Some kind of redemption, Well, is right? any Christmas story yeah. really a Christmas story? Unless they're saving Christmas. Well, he is saving Christmas for all the people that work at Nakatomi Plaza. True. You know, they would have all died in a horrible explosion on the roof if John McClane 
Pentecost. I so, guess so. So Jesus returns and saves everyone. John McClain is Jesus. Oh, my God. Okay, that's taking it too far. <laughs> You're right. RoboCop is Jesus. I've never seen that movie either. That movie's actually intentionally filled with Christ allegories all the way through. Really? Yeah. Mm. RoboCop is great. I don't know how you would take it because it's it's very bombastic, but it's it's aware in a way that something like Die Hard is. So, but if we can't have a conversation about Die Hard without talking about Alan Rickman. Yes, because the man is brilliant. Yeah, and his big screen debut at the age of forty-one, which is so cool. Good for you. Well, it's that you know that unfortunate idea that's been pounded into people, especially young people, that if you don't succeed young, you'll never succeed at anything. Well, and I'm sorry, but men in Hollywood have an easier job breaking in. I I don't mean just Hollywood. I mean anything. Like, if you want to be a, you know, if you want to be a writer, if you haven't made it by the time you're 25, you're done. If you don't own your own business by the time you're in your mid to late 20s, Oh, I ignore all of that noise. Whereas you have so many people that don't even really get started or get a chance to get... So he had done British TV and stage and stuff, but, you know, you go from the British stage and only you're recognized in Britain. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're in the biggest action movie in the world and it just overnight changes. And then you get to become Alan Rickman. Well, and he played some iconic roles and all amazing characters. He wasn't just given the romantic lead, which gets boring, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure the paycheck's not boring, but... You can eventually fade out of being the romantic lead, even if you're a male or female, but he sustained himself. I think it was a huge loss um, to cinema. Oh, I agree. When he passed away. But I absolutely loved him, and he was Snape. (laughs) Well, you could hear those kind of... It's tough because he is so identified now with the role of Snape that he'd finish saying something, and I'd keep waiting for him to say... Mr. Potter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, because he does it with that. I think he was in love, actually. And have you seen that film? No, but I, I know of it. Okay. And he didn't have a Snape-esque character. Like, yeah. his hair was lighter. He wasn't a villain. He just played a guy in a crumbling marriage. Yeah. Um, so it was weird to see him out of that element of being typecast as a villain. Um, but yeah, in this role, because it's your voice. And it was his voice that Logan could point out. Yeah. Well, it's you can't not. Recognize it. There's yeah. no one else that sounds like that. Mr. So, Potter. Mr. Potter. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even something like Dogma, where he plays the Metatron, you know, where he's an authority figure. Sorry, broken speakers. He's an authority figure, but he's playful and silly and has no penis. And, like, it's it's fun to see him out of character like that because, you know, there's a lot of Hans Gruber in Snape. You know, it's that, I'm, I'm a villain, but you like me. Well, because he's attractive. He's not attractive as Snape, but, like, there's nothing that screams bad guy. Yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons why, in the original script, they were terrorists. And McTiernan came in, the director, and was like, no, 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 no terrorists. No one, we don't want that. that they keep the, calling them terrorists. Well, that's because that's what everyone thinks they are. And that's what he wants them to they believe. They just, they're, they want money. They're bank robbers. But they're doing it under the mask of terrorism to confuse and befuddle the police. Right. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Now like, when just, they were like, oh, we get our getaway helicopter. Yeah, and he's like, just let them screw around with that. Because they'll treat them differently if they think we're terrorists. But he's like, McTiernan's like, no, no one likes terrorists. But everyone loves thieves. Because there's a romantic idea to the whole thing of being a, a robber. 
So, and you're going into robbing a huge corporation. And you still love him through all that, even though he's shooting people. And did they kill? Oh, yeah, they did kill people in cold blood. Yep. Straight up. Well, he shoots uh, Takagi, the, the boss, because yeah. he won't give him the coat. So he and just pops him right there. That other slime. Oh, shoots Clay. Story, <laughs> which is horrible, but uh, he almost asked for it. Well, he <laughs> does. And you're- but he was protecting her, <coughs> which I did like, because at first I'm like, oh, what a slime bag. And then he did try to take the attention off of her in his own silly way even though by finding that out actually put her in more danger afterwards but he's just so slimy and you feel bad as an audience but you want him to get shot because it's like somebody please shut this guy up yeah you don't even need to shoot him just somebody like hit him with a gun (laughs) (laughs) you know they do that knockout thing (laughs) it's that slimy smile where he's just Hans booby yeah. Like, just... is <laughs> <laughs> the archetypal yuppie slime ball, you know, doing coke and sexually harassing everyone in sight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he's just the worst. But no, the I'm glad you love the movie. I did. I really did. And yeah. I didn't know... Like, I had figured it wouldn't be that bad going into it, really, because people can test whether it's Christmas, whether it's not, so I figure it has a following. Um <laughs> Sorry, I figured Die Hard's got some kind of a following. It's, it's like it's like a couple of people watch it, right? Like it's just <laughs> it just never stuck out to me as something that I would watch. But I love that type of movie. True, mm. it reminded me somewhat of True Lies. The action and the comedy and the at the center of it, you have a relationship that's in some kind of trouble and and Arnold yeah. is actually kind of dorky mm-hmm. in that movie, right? Like he's normal even though we know he's not normal (laughs) well he gets to play both sides of it right you know he gets to play the the suave secret agent the arnold we know and then has to play the put on the role of this kind of bumbler goof that can't handle anything well and i love too that this is a movie that was still in the vein of one-liners so like i'll be back yeah. Come out to the coast, we'll have a few laughs. Yeah. You know, and the, this one seemed to have tons of them, which was yeah. awesome. And it didn't seem cheesy. Now, I don't know if that's because I wanted to watch the film, and I liked it, because if I didn't and there was those one-liners, I might go, oh, God. Well, I think it's, because you had pointed out earlier the the cop getting stuck on the rose bush and going, ow, my yeah. finger. <laughs> you know, and the, the, the bank robber taking the Hershey bar right before a gunfight. I think because you set that tone of the film, you allow Bruce Willis's more sillier moments where he's kind of quipping to you get a you feel like, okay, in this world that's okay. That's not, you know, the uh Arnold stabbing a guy to a post and saying, stick around, which is amazing. Oh yeah. But it it just creates a different atmosphere where that humor it feel you're relieving tension. You're not just trying to be cool. You know, like the shit that comes out of Willis's mouth because he's just so frazzled. Yeah. Like it's it's humor because he's so over his head. Like when he's trying to call the cops on the radio, he's like, sir, this is an emergency line. What does the sailor cup do in order to fuck a pizza? Like yeah, just- those are realistic kind of responses. And I feel like the big blockbuster action movies they do now are like Jason Statham. So there he's there's no character. Mm. He's just a robot going through the motions. Um, they tried to give character to Daniel Craig's James Bond, but like I, I like looking at him, but in terms of a character, I never got the James Bond thing. He's just so 
misogynist. And then the Bourne stuff. Like, I'm mm. trying to think of the, the type of movies that come out now that are like that, but they're just so lacking any lightness to them. Well, other than, like, when Stallone came back with the Expendables movies, which there's a lot to enjoy there, mm-hmm. but it's also it's more of a miss than a hit. It's you kind of return to that playfulness because all these guys are in it. But I found you had that kind of not a silliness, but a more playful action movie throughout the 90s. That good, fun, pulse-pounding, oh, this is exciting, but it's a little silly, but we're all in on it. And then, I don't know if it was the Bourne movies themselves that started, but it's kind of this return to this more super serious action stuff. And I don't like that. I will not watch a movie like that because it's just so heavy. And because there's no really great character development, it's like even Mm -hmm. the, the filming is dark and dank and it well, and feels like the shaky cam and yeah i just i action movies oh i you know what i did like white house down the gerard but like that was that kind of campy almost white house has fallen over the first there's one. a couple olympus has fallen have, olympus has fallen have you seen london has fallen the second one? Uh, I stopped watching. It was really bad. Oh, my God. It was one of the <laughs> movies we did for the worst, uh, the 50 worst for the 50s episode of Frame Apart. And Casey from um, See You Next Wednesday described it the best. He's like, this movie is a fucking idiot. But if you knew this, if you went to high school with this movie, you'd be like, that guy fucking parties. <laughs> like, you'd yeah. find this movie doing a keg stand. Like, it's an idiot. Because there was two. There was the one with Channing Tatum and the one with Gerard Butler. Yeah. And they were both the same movie. Yeah. But they weren't, they didn't take themselves super seriously. And I think this is what I liked about Die Hard. Well, it's, and you've had kind of a return to that with, um, oh, I feel so foolish, the Taken movies. Liam Neeson. Oh, yeah, of, yeah. Kind well, of the first this... one out of the 50 that they did. <laughs> well, he's done so many now because he's doing kind of the Charlie Bronson thing. You know, the Death Wish movies where he's being an action hero in his late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. You know, when he probably shouldn't be. But you get a little bit of that glibness that you carried over from Die Hard. And that's what's so good about the first three is he's just a guy. He's not a superhero. He's getting his ass beat at every turn. Because every exchange in this movie, he's never... He comes out on top, but barely. Like, the first fight in the movie, he wins because they fall down the stairs and the guy lands on his head. Like, he didn't just walk in the room and immediately start kung fu kicking everyone through No, it was almost like an accidental death. He was like, well, I'm going to use this to my advantage. Just utter desperation. And then that great, you know, when he walks in at the end, like, dragging his bloody feet. Hi, honey! Like, so good. No, No, I loved it. Absolutely wonderful. I thought, and I do. I would classify it as a Christmas movie. Hundred percent. I think there are a lot of rank things in uh, the stop motion um, Rudolph movie that you could say it's pretty dark. <laughs> oh, you mean when the elf mutilates the abominable snowman by ripping all his teeth out without any anesthetic? Yeah, there's that to make him nicer. Yep, and not a threat to them. Uh, to when Rudolph's father disowns him for having a. Uh, physical disability or deformity. Different lifestyle choice. And the the mother is just like, okay, honey, whatever you want. Yeah, I guess we'll let it go. What? To like the mass bullying that his dad actually encourages during flight school? Like it's just, it's so horrendous. Well, it's, it's fun to see like, because, like you said, the Christmas stuff can be very Christmassy or it can be just weird. I will point to, for anyone who hasn't seen it, find it online, the Elf Christmas special. 
A-L-F. A- yes, A-L-F, not E-L-F, which is just an awesome Christmas movie. But the Elf Christmas special is one of the most horrible things you'll ever see. <laughs> not in terms of quality, in terms of content. It's all about death. Oh. Just death, wall to wall. Dead kids, suicide, it's just amazing. See, yeah, so I think in this case, with a, I think it was a positive outcome at the end of the film. Yeah. Um, we have the big bro hug at the end where it's the love stories actually between those two. It's awesome. And he gets to go home to his kids on Christmas Eve. Who? Let's talk about typecasting. Walter Peck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after Ghostbusters, man couldn't get a job unless he, he was, was playing a Weasley so, dick. And, I mean, he just looks the part. But he... Sorry, my phone just went off. Um, he actually went to hit Bruce Willis's house, roused his children out of bed, yeah. and put them on national TV. Yeah. After threatening to have the babysitter deported. Yeah. yeah. And told them that their parents were in mortal danger. They could have slept the whole night through and woke up to their parents in the morning and never known the yeah. difference. And I thought, he's just an awful man. And how do we deal with that? The mother punches him out. Yeah, which is perfect. Yeah, doesn't have, he doesn't do it. Like, that's, you have these great kind of flips at the end. How do we resolve this emotional story? By Bruce Willis and his buddy hugging it out, this wonderful, long, protracted moment. Yeah. And then Bruce doesn't shoot the last bad guy. Reginald does. So he gets to have his arc closed perfectly. And then the slimy weasel that upset that, tried to hurt her family, she fucking punches him right out. So the last two bad guys in the film, Bruce doesn't even settle. He's done. He's done his part and yeah. lets the other characters shine. And I want to hire Argyle, the limo driver, as my own personal limo driver. That guy <laughs> waited for hours in the basement of that parking garage. Never even questioned. No, he, he, you know, Loyal to a fault. Gets the job done. Waited for his hero moment. We yep. got to blindside the, uh, the ambulance, so... No, it's great. Loved it. I always know we're doing well when I we end a movie for prep that has sequels, and Jack's immediately like, I want to watch the other ones. Well, so. I do, and I'm not hoping for big things, but I am expecting it'll be entertaining, at least the next one. Well, everyone's so busy arguing about whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Everyone oh, forgets get over that it. Die Hard 2 is also a Christmas movie. Perfect. Bring so. it on. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm tired. This is later than we usually record. And it's past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, now that we've discussed the joys that is Die Hard, and go out and watch Die Hard. If you haven't seen it in a while or you've never seen it, please, God, Christ, go watch it. It's absolutely amazing. But now, okay, on to this next thing that I I knew about. Like, I had a, uh, like, kind of an outsider's perspective. I knew all this was going on, but it's like... You have a leather dungeon in your neighborhood. You know it's there. You say hi oh, to people, but you don't go and talk to them <laughs> because it's kind of out of your comfort zone. So no no shame to the people that go, but just you're kind of comfortable with it. Hallmark Christmas movies. <gasps> Jack, give Love us... Them. bring us. This is you, so you gotta you got to take the reins on this. So because we don't have guilty pleasures, I just have the pleasure, <laughs> along with a lot of other people I know, men and women... Um, that love Hallmark Christmas movies specifically. Now, I love a good Hallmark movie every, I don't know, twice a year. But there's something magical about the Hallmark Christmas movies. And right now, as it happens, with our cable provider, we have a free preview of the Hallmark channel, because it's not a channel I would have subscribed to. Mm. So I have taped them all. (laughs) (laughs) 
and continue to take them. And we're kind of knocking them off as we go. My husband also loves them. Um, and as much as he pretends to be reluctant about them, he does like them. The kids like them. They're just something so wholesome and corny and you can forget about everything. Oh, corny is a word. It's 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 like stepping into another genre of filmmaking. It's the only thing I can equate this to because it's so its own thing is like trying to show someone that's like a movie family. Okay, you like horror movies. Have you ever seen any Italian horror movies? And you have to kind of prepare them because you're like the acting's different, the cutting's different, the yeah. tone, the right, everything is completely different than what you're used to. But if you're into that, th- there's a there's thousands of them. And this is felt to me like that. Well, it is. There's a whole culture built around Hallmark Christmas movies. They're serial actors who just make their living off of doing this, which I'm sure is a pretty good living. And you get to play these ridiculous characters that don't actually exist in real life. These towns don't look like this. People don't look that perfect. They don't curl their hair that perfect every day. It's it's just you get a little snippet of peace. It, it's almost akin to watching Gilmore Girls. It's it's Gilmore Girls on steroids is really yeah. what it is. Is All these towns are Stars Hollow times 10. All of the characters are the Gilmore Girls characters times a thousand. So I'll give you the plot rundown yes. before I go into the formula that is Hallmark Christmas movies because okay. they follow a formula for the most part. So Snowed in Christmas is about two journalists that are competing. Now, sorry, before we get farther. Snowed in? I-N-N. So it's a, it's a delicious pun. Operative word. Yes. In. Snowed in Christmas. <laughs> Huh? Huh? So it opens in, I'm going to say New York. Some big city, doesn't matter. I, well, there's there's a lot of awkward establishing shots. Oddly enough, just like a lot of Italian horror movies. Yeah, well, there you go. There's a, <laughs> some good correlations. So these two journalists who are polar opposites, who we get to know, and everything's obvious, and they tell you what you need to know. You don't have to guess. Polar opposites, male, female, um, they work in the same office. They work for an online magazine company called Epiphany, <laughs> with a really uh, strong, assertive female boss. Oh, my God. And they're about to have cuts in the new year, so they need to prove to them, prove to their boss that they are the most valuable employee, so she sends them to Aspen to write an expose for Christmas. About why people should go to Aspen. To this to particular Christmas. place in yeah. Aspen, yeah. So, obviously, they get delayed in their flight while they're in there. They have to make an emergency landing in... Santa Claus, Indiana. Yes, which is actually a real place, and I want to go so bad. Um, So they get snowed in. They get put up at this darling little inn, which is actually pretty big on the inside. (laughs) It is so much bigger than the establishing house that they're shooting the (laughs) exteriors of. Yeah, it makes the... There is no logic to the size of the inside of this no. place, but whatever, cool. And in the midst of all of this, obviously they end up falling in love, even though they're very opposite and they're competing. But she's high strung and he's wacky. On an added layer, which I thought this movie was so brilliant for, we have the story of Mr. and Mrs. Claus, who had been running the inn since the 1800s, and the female journalist, Jenna has her suspicions about it but can't convince 
her co-worker that this this could be Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Even though it's so obviously Mr. and Mrs. Claus. <laughs> well, it's Chris like, is oh my his God. name. <laughs> like, it could not be any more... Like, any more that. And by the end of the film, we find out that, yes, they are Mr. and Mrs. Claus. They save the inn because the inn is about to be demolished for high-rises. Uh, has lost his historical designation because they can't find the deed. Um, also, the male journal... Bob's just like, oh, my God. No, I'm actually thinking that this actually bears a lot more in common with Italian horror than I realize. Because, like I said, we start in New York. A lot of those movies involve some kind of investigative reporter then being given a task and sent away somewhere. Okay. To okay. whether it's the Caribbean or somewhere cheaper to shoot than New York City, just like here. If this place was Winnipeg. Yeah, <laughs> you have to shoot. <laughs> you have to shoot somewhere cheaper. So like a, a desolate wasteland, um, Spain or Winnipeg, where they shot a lot of the Italian horror stuff, and then something supernatural ensues, like investigating Santa Claus. Okay, so supernatural does not usually make its way into these formulas. So let me tell you, and then you can say how you yep. would compare it. <laughs> This is the formula that I've come up with after watching all these. And if sometimes they don't adhere to it, and that's when I'm like, eh, well, you didn't have that element. It's a loser for me. <laughs> um, opposite personalities always have to have the lead, the romantic yep. leads having opposite personalities. Yes, they do. Plus a moral friend or sibling compass. So mm -hmm. either it's an office coworker, usually it's a sibling. Plus unexpected circumstances, so getting snowed in, with having to win a competition um, or save something. So either you're saving a property. Typically at Christmas, it's like a gingerbread decorating competition or cookie competition. you got to save the rec center. Save the rec center. Yeah. Um, the one we did watch about saving a Christmas tree farm village. Like, you always have to save something. Um, you need to add in the getting stuff done montage that's set to music when they actually fall in love. Yep. The the cookie making scene at 2.30 in the morning in this people's house, totally inappropriate, <laughs> uh, was was so phenomenal I couldn't actually believe it was happening. It was so low budget. Yeah. Um, big city boyfriend or ex-boyfriend comes back. Yep. So in this case, we had her ex-fiance, who is the big city... Just a weasel. He's guy. Clay... From, uh, or whatever the guy's name is, the douchebag from Die Hard who gets shot. Yeah. Like, that's that's yeah. this guy. I so think they, he even watched the movie. They always come back. There's some awkward tension between the guy who wears a lot of sweaters. Um, usually, it's going back to a hometown where someone grew up. Yeah. Um, in this case, it wasn't. Um, no, but he grew up 45 minutes outside of Santa Claus, Indiana. True. Because he takes her to meet the fam. Yeah. Um, a choice is made. Usually she chooses to go back with the big city boyfriend and then realizes that she was wrong. Um, and then comes back, presents herself. <laughs> it feels so bad. <laughs> she just lays down in the street I didn't and mean hikes it like her that. butt. I did not mean it like that. Lesson learned. Shall we mate? <laughs> she just pees all over his I meant feet. like presents herself as an object of his affection. This is getting weird. If we watched one of these movies and she comes back after the boyfriend situation and just sprays him, I would be so happy. <laughs> but the one other thing that needs to happen for this to be a complete cycle... Um, is that once they do kiss at the end, cut, done. Yeah. We didn't even get her invited in and see the Christmas that happened after really. Like, she did come in wearing that really awkward top that you could tell the actress was, like, uncomfortable in. And well, she came in pants. and sat down quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And that Took was her jacket it. jacket off and sat down. Done. They cut it. 
Okay. Having having watched two of these. Now, yes, because the other night I did something that I was rewarded by or rewarded with by the people in my house and they said, Do whatever you want, tonight's about you. Um, so I chose to drink wine and make the boys watch another Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah, I have to say the uh Jesus Christmas face or Christmas Captain Christmas Town? pants, Christmas Town yeah. with uh, Candace Cameron Cam- Bray was n- not remotely <laughs> as good as no, Snowden Christmas because here here's the thing I I love bad movies Jack knows this uh, my friends know this I think at this point if you're here for episode twelve you know this I love trash I love intentionally bad movies I have this is what presents the problem with me with these movies. I don't like think. Don't worry, I'm going to say something nice, Jack. That's don't fine. Worry. You don't have to. Um, I don't care if you don't like it. <laughs> the problem with cookie cutter like assembly line stuff, at least when it comes to horror and exploitation, is the world's best trash movies are come about when maximum enthusiasm meets minimum skill. And that's like you'd want to talk about the formula, um, Deadly Prey, Miami Connection, Ed Wood's entire career. Like it's that's when that happens, and you get this magical blend that you can't force. That's why stuff like Sharknado movies bug the shit out of me because it's intentional. They know what they're doing, and it's like, oh look, how still, the one this one's called. Are we done yet, Sharknado Four? Like, <laughs> no, put your head in the freezer. Like you're the worst person ever for doing that. But. So I went into this, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be its assembly line. Jack's already kind of half explained some of the rules, even though I asked her not to. She's just too exuberant. She's <laughs> too excited. And I'm like, yeah, I'm checking it off. I'm like, wow, wow. But then, like, 20 minutes in, something happened where I was so fucking involved in this movie. Right? So involved. Honest to God, the movie ended, and I'm like, I would watch this movie again right now. See? Like, I was that involved. But it's it was, I didn't feel the same way about... Uh, uh, beige Christmas, Christmas pants. No, because um, they're not always done properly. Yeah. There is a varying degree of skill which with which you make these movies. Well, it's this one I had I had a bit more of a buy because they're writers. So yes. that's wonderful. But it's they they're not the best actors. No. I recognize him from something, but I can't place him. It's probably another Christmas Hallmark yeah. movie. <laughs> but they they're not making fun of the material. They don't ever do it with a wink, but I don't know if the director encouraged this or they just made the decision together to like, we're, we're in a outlandish situation because of the supernatural element and all that silliness. Let's kind of play those scenes a little bit like we know. Like, isn't this a little silly? Like, when she comes to him and says, I think he might be Santa Claus. When she if this, looks up. <laughs> if this was the Candace uh, Cameron Bergenstein yeah. one, she would have been like, I think he's Santa Claus. Look at me. I must know I'm fucking beige. DJ Tanner. Head to toe. Where, like, no sense of play. Whereas she does it, she, like, claps her face like, is that stupid? I think yeah. it's stupid. Like, it's like we're looking at the audience and going, we know. We yeah, know. We know it's dumb. And they have kind of a, a playful bounce within this abject silliness that yeah. they're doing. But I was so invested. And, and it's so Christmassy. I know, which I knew, like, and I'm glad that you can see how bad they are because I know how bad they mm-hmm. are, which is why I, I prefer watching them alone because I can just get excited on my own. But then I watch them with other people and they get just as invested. Like, we're pausing it to run to go and get popcorn or something because we don't want to miss, like, a single thing. It's 
the this movie specifically, I can't speak to all the rest, but this movie is the film equivalent of that scene in Despicable Me when the little girl gets a stuffed animal and she's like, it's so fluffy, I want to die. Yeah, I like, know. That's what this movie is. It's so Christmassy and it's so sugary. And your pancreas is just like, ah, singing Christmas carols. But you're just sucked into the stupidity of the whole thing. Yeah. Because it is just Christmas with no filters. It is just, look at everything is Christmas, no matter the store, the village, everywhere you go. And it's so clean and so pure and, and so perfect. innocent. Everyone's ponytail bounces at yeah. the right time. Everyone's lip gloss shines. Yeah. Even the foster kids in some of them have, like, they're they're <laughs> fine. They really are fine. Because yeah. foster p- kids are another That seemed to be a big one. Yeah, that hit in both. And beautiful... Put together little white girls never get adopted in middle America ever. Yeah. According to Hallmark. They wash out of the system. Well, there's not a lot of representation in these movies, and it's something that's glaringly obvious. Well, let's talk about then the one instance of representation, two, in... um, there's usually in Snowden Christmas. A little bit, but it's not it's not. You have the hyper aggressive um, plot deliverer boss. Uh, yes. Which, you know, a woman in a position of power, she owns her own magazine, everything's going, whatever. She's annoying, nothing to do with her, who she is as a person, yeah. or the color of her skin. She's just an annoying character. Yeah. But then they go to, like you said, the requisite spouse or uh, sibling house. Yeah. And I don't know if they did this because it's set in Indiana and they're taking a dig at Mike Pence, but not only is it an interracial relationship... It's an interracial relationship where the guy is black. And this isn't meant to sound like it's a bad thing. It's obviously not. But really look at your representations of interracial relationships on television, especially in television or in commercials. You can have a white guy with a black wife. You can have two black people, two white people. But you don't often see a black guy and a white woman together, unless it's like the point of a show or something. And that's, and that's stupid. But they do it here. And I'm, I saw that. I'm like, whoa, power move. From yeah. Hallmark. Yeah. Because the rest of this movie is um, a Vaseline on toast. Well, and I can bread. imagine that Hallmark is run by right-wing Christians. Well... Because there's a lot of <coughs> Christian... and I, I don't know if this conversation is getting out of control. No, it's fine. No, there is. Especially with uh, uh, Candace Tanner... Um, <laughs> Captain Beige Face. Yeah. And uh, I keep bringing up the beige because she go watch Christmas beige. Town. She is just in beige except for one scene. And she keeps bringing up God because she's... Uh, she's religious. The, the Holy Crusader himself, Kirk Cameron. Uh, side note, if you haven't seen the Left Behind movies, please, God, go watch them. Wow. Uh, it's her brother. So you get that there. You don't... They don't do the Jesus stuff in Snowden Christmas, which is nice. There's no church no. or anything. No, no, no. You know, just a nice little moment of interracial marriage in Indiana. Take that, Mike Pence. So it's interesting. That was good. I would like to know more about how they handle that because it is very whitewashed. So clearly, it's only speaking to a particular group. Oh, it's, it's definitely speaking to a particular group because even though they have the representation there, uh, he's either napping or he's serving people, yeah. which is like you, you got close. You 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 had you had the conversation. Now you need to have like a hundred more. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's. I'm glad that you liked it. I I you can't <laughs> not in it because it's such a stupid way. Because it's it didn't manipulate me because I watched it intentionally. It's not like I was tricked into this. 
but you're just all of a sudden like it's so dumb but i feel so warm right now yes and i think that is the whole point of these hallmark movies is that you it they evoke the feeling of christmas yeah and it takes you out of the melee and craziness and violence and racism that we see on tv and in the media and in real life and it just you kind of just forget about everything yeah and just be in the moment yeah it is just a a pure little injection of christmas so it's no it was fun i would i would watch others to see how they compare but i like going forward snowed in christmas is my benchmark yeah and i think that's why i chose to show it to you because i've watched many of them and you never know what you're gonna get you never know if it'll end you'll be like oh that was a nice tidy little package or if you're like whoa that was really bad we've turned off a couple of them too that are just horrendous um, the one that they have on Netflix right now, uh, the princess switch with, um, the girl from high school musical is so bad. Oh, I know what you mean. There's a bunch of those yeah. that they've done. Um, what's other people trying to do the Hallmark thing, which I just like, leave it to lifetime, leave it to Hallmark. <laughs> they've got a formula and they obviously have a formula. Yeah. And, and when you use don't it. use it, it, it ends and you're like, oh, okay. Um, for instance, we watch Mary and Bright with. Stephanie Tanner, (laughs) something about Full House alumni doing these movies, and she's saving her grandma's candy cane factory. (laughs) What? Sorry. She's trying to save her grandmother's candy cane. Well, she inherited it. She's CEO, but it's failing, so the big shot. Who has a candy cane factory? They're made by companies. Well, this is an independent business, and that's part of the problem. These big corporations want to buy them up, and she won't sell out. Okay. And I, turn to making chocolate instead of candy canes. Oh, sinner. But it didn't follow the formula of her having um, come from another place, so coming from a big city back to her hometown. Mm-hmm. She's in her hometown, and it did not have a big shop boyfriend come and try and break up the relationship that happened. So you're like, what? So where's the drama? <laughs> <laughs> What am I supposed to be in suspense about? This the is all candy cane company? This is heartless, Stephanie Tanner. <laughs> no, so we, Marty and I both finished it going, well, that was a letdown. Because we knew they were in love the entire time. There was no question. There was no presenting. There was nothing. Bees <laughs> <laughs> on his shoes. Well, I don't know. Well, I, I, I don't think we can get out of this... Um, Especially talking about uh, certain animal behaviors without talking about um, Indy's haircut. Oh yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't even know how to, we were we were very excited about this movie. We were high on Christmas. Yeah. The Christmas spirit. And just silly and laughing and boisterous. And all of a sudden we noticed that the dog has this terrible mat, <laughs> mat behind his <laughs> it's ear. It's like her dreadlock that's been growing. She does not like to be brushed. She gets really skittish. Yeah. But I decided that, we, you know what, let's just cut it out. Let's give the dog a haircut. <laughs> Shay Poochie Poochie. I cut a little too much off and now her ear. She's a border collie, so she requires like long tufts at the side of her head. No. Well, it's only on one side now. Just the crimped hack job. <laughs> and as this is happening, we're laughing so hard at the dog that one of us bumps the remote and it changes the channel. And for no reason whatsoever is an infomercial and there's a dead serious <laughs> William Shatner staring at the screen saying, I've learned the value of keeping my CPAP machine clean. 
And then it just ends. I want to know. I want the rest of that commercial because he ended it on a fiery note. Oh, he did. And that was when Marty came upstairs and was kind of like, what's going on here, guys? Just losing it between the dog's haircut and William Shatner's obviously filthy CPAP machine if it drove him to speaking out about this obvious problem that's yeah. taking place in America. Oh, it was where, amazing. Yeah, it was just, it was, in hindsight of telling this story, have a feeling it's a you had to be there story. Uh, probably. I'm glad we told it. But that being said, this is what Hallmark movies do. Even if just for the 90 minutes that they're on, <laughs> they put you in a jovial state, they make you laugh, they make you cut the dog's hair. <laughs> <laughs> that's one It should be on the Hallmark website. Five reasons to watch Hallmark movies. I've given a few people haircuts, mainly it's Logan. While watching Hallmark movies specifically? No, but the shaver incident, I mean, having an uncooperative person to do a haircut on doesn't help. It's obviously the person's fault. And the dog you were the wrong wasn't <laughs> cooperating. <laughs> Scissors near her head. Well, if she had have taken care of those rat tails in the first place, <laughs> it wouldn't have to cut them off. There was three of them. That's ridiculous. Kept up with her grooming instead of watching Hallmark movies. She was right into it, too. <laughs> it's a family event. It's a family event. Oh, my God. Anyway, there it is. There it is. Those are two wonderfully polar opposite, yet, you know, complimenting Christmas films. I think so. So, Jack, do you have a quotely corner? I have a couple. For such, uh, for such two conflicting views of Christmas? I do. I have a couple. So there was a couple lines that stuck out to me in Die Hard. One, take this under advisement, jerkweed. <laughs> I just thought, like, jerkweed? Who says that? It's such an 80s it made thing me, It made me laugh. Yeah. Um, the other one I thought was, it took this, like, from PG-13 to, like, 18A. In a movie filled with great one-liners and great swearing. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to fucking cook you. I'm going to fucking eat you. He's saying this as he's pounding on the guy's head with his gun. Yeah. (laughs) So good. So good. And then, just to juxtapose, I've, I've already made reference to this before, but when Mrs. Claus looks at the two journalists and sees that they're in a conundrum of where to stay for the night, she says... Well, that's quite a frosty pickle. <laughs> God, it says it with such sincerity. And they, they just kind of like, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, good. Sets the tone for these yes. two films. If you're, if you're looking for a gateway into the Hallmark world, uh, Snowden Christmas is both the best place to start and you might screw yourself early because I have a feeling it might be the best one that I'm going to see this holiday season. So I don't know. Cookie Cutter Christmas with Lacey Shabert from Party of Five was pretty good, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll try that one next. Yeah. Let's see, see, I've got him hooked. Yeah. I, I do. I'm, I'm thinking about these movies at work today. Wait, I want to talk to people about this at work. Bring it up. Guaranteed. But how the hell do I talk to these people about the Hallmark Christmas movies? Well, you could be opening a floodgates of regret. Or everyone's going to go, oh my god, I love them. Yeah. Somewhere in a room of people, you're going to find somebody that will have that reaction. Yes. And hopefully some of our listeners will resonate with you, or you will start the strange addiction that is Hallmark movies. Yeah, you will get Pika for Hallmark. Pika. Pika, Pika, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The typhoid Mary at all of your Christmas parties. (laughs) But no, that, that that was a great way to kick off. 
our holiday program. I think so. so. And it was the first of the holiday movies I've watched thus far. So, really? Yeah. Oh. Because I, 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 I'll watch a Christmas movie any time of the year, but with my, like, let's watch Christmas movies at Christmas, I try to hold myself back until December Oh, we've 1st. been watching The Grinch on repeat. Because yeah. so. Sawyer's obsessed. So, no, that was great. That was good fun. I'm good. glad we started there. So, Bob, what are we doing next episode? Well, Jack, next episode. Because <laughs> uh, I love that Christmas is coinciding with episode 13. So we thought we'd take another uh, opposites attract kind of look. And we are going to be looking at Black Christmas versus White Christmas. So uh, we're talking about the original. I know there's a remake of Black Christmas coming out this month from Bloomhouse. We're talking about the original Bob Clark Canadian shot at Queens, White, uh, Black Christmas, and the absolutely immortal Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye White Christmas from Oop. 40 something. And we're, we're hoping to have a special guest? Yes, we're looking to have a guest. We won't uh, announce, we won't count that chicken before it's hatched yet because we're not 100% sure. The chicken's very busy. Yes, <laughs> it's a very frazzled chicken yeah. out there right now. So hopefully, if she's listening to this, she'll be like, ooh, I like chicken. <laughs> So uh, we'll be back for that, and we want to thank you guys very much for joining us. Again, you can reach out to us on uh, on Facebook. You can find us at 14 Months Apart. Even just throw us a like and a share. Every little bit helps. Until next time, remember, a lot can change in 14 months.